0: Welcome to Mad Influence. Before we start today, I have a quick favor to ask. If you've been enjoying the episodes recently, then if you could please leave a review or rating in the App Store and subscribe, this will really help other people to find it. This is a podcast about how the marketing industry uses its influence on society. We all know that marketers can have a bad rep. Let's be honest, we're one of the least trusted professions in the world ranking somewhere alongside politicians and journalists at the bottom of every poll from the last few years. But what about the people who use their positions of influence to spread positive messages, entertain the world or inspire social change? I'm Helen Saul, I work in brand marketing and I'm hosting this podcast so that I can speak to some of these people about our role in influencing culture and investigate how we can all use our power more for good. Today's guest is Jean Kilbourne, a pioneering activist, speaker, and writer who has been commended for the research she has done for over half a century on topics including the image of women in advertising, addiction, and media. After working as a secretary at the BBC and a French film company in Paris, she went on to teach before creating books and documentaries which have been praised globally. Her critically acclaimed Killing Us Softly advertising's image of women has been remade three times and is one of the most popular educational films of all time. She has testified for the US Congress and advised the UK Parliament on a campaign for body confidence. In 2015, Jean was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame and she has been praised by notable figures like Brene Brown and Maya Angelou. She has also been interviewed by outlets including Time, The Oprah Winfrey Show and The New York Times. Jean knows how to engage an audience. Her TED Talk on the dangerous ways ads see women has been viewed over a million times. Jean has been outspoken throughout her career about the dangers of things like stereotyping in advertising and the importance of media literacy. In her own words, Real change depends upon an aware, active and educated public, people who think of themselves primarily as citizens, not as consumers. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jean. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to be with you. I really appreciate your time. And as you can see from the bio that I just read out, you really have had the most incredible career for a really long time. So, Thank you for spending your time speaking to me today. I normally like to go back in time a little bit to understand a bit about a guest's motivations and kind of what makes them do what they do today. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what it was in your first jobs as a secretary in both Paris and you also work for the BBC that led you into the really varied and diverse career that you have today and your wider interest in advertising and the industry?
1: Yes. Well, some of it was just simply being a, a young woman, you know, 50, 60 years ago when options for women were so limited. So I went to uh, one of the best universities here in, this, in the States and and yet then I had to go to secretarial school after I graduated in order to get a job. And I did, I was very lucky to have a, a chance to live in London and then in Paris, but the jobs were very, very mundane. So, And I also At the same time, the options for women were so limited. So I was a secretary, I was a waitress, et cetera. But I also had an opportunity to do some modeling. So I did some of that in London and in Paris and in the States. And it was always very, I was very conflicted about it because on the one hand, it was lucrative. And, you know, you were supposed to be incredibly grateful to have this opportunity. On the other, it was very soul-destroying in a way. It was, I was very objectified, although there was no language to describe it in those days. And there was also a tremendous amount of sexual harassment. So I would say that all of those experiences, I mean, discrimination, sexism, harassment, limited opportunities, uh, really, uh, among other things, turned me into a feminist and made me really concerned and aware about the harm that all of these stereotypes and all the sexism does. So I had a series of jobs and in 1968, one of them was putting ads into The Lancet, the British Medical Journal. And one of the ads was just unbelievably sexist. And I looked at it and thought, this is really outrageous and it's not trivial. So I began to collect ads and to look at them. No one else was doing this at that time. And to see a pattern and to, to see that this was something that I felt had an incredible influence on how people felt about women
0: that makes a lot of sense. And I guess it sort of leads me to one of the things you've done that you are really known for, which is your documentary series, Killing Us Softly, Advertising This Image of Women. And it's actually the first thing that led me to your work many years ago when I was at university and my lecturer showed it to me. And at the time I was really impressed by the film and the messages it gave. Now, a lot of the themes that are covered in that film are things that we're all very aware of today, whether that is gender stereotyping or the body image of women or objectification. But I wonder how the film was received the first version that you did in 1979. Did people have the same awareness then or was it that it was really quite shocking at the time?
1: I think it was extremely shocking at the time, actually, and and the main reason was that people felt that advertising was so trivial that it couldn't, therefore, have any real damaging effect or harm, and so I think a couple of things happened with Killing Us Softly. First of all, it was based on a lecture that I had, as I said, I cut out the ad from The Lancet, and then I started making slides from ads and did a slide presentation, and I was invited to speak to larger and larger groups and eventually decided to make the film in order to make the material available to a wider audience so there was nothing like it out there then at the time everybody felt uh superior to advertising in a way that it was trivial that it didn't really uh, have any kind of impact in fact even other feminists felt that way so other feminists would say to me you know we're dealing with serious issues like violence against women uh we don't have time for trivial issues like the image of women in advertising and i would say they're related You know, when women are objectified, it creates a climate in which there's more likely to be abuse and violence. So anyway, in those days that was a radical point of view. (laughs) And I think that there were several reasons why Killing Us Softly was so successful. And it took off very quickly. And of course, this was way before (laughs) any kind of internet. We didn't even do any marketing for the film. It just got out there on, uh, you know, sort of word of mouth. But it did become very successful very quickly. And I think part of the reason was that it was groundbreaking that nobody else had done this, that seeing these ads one after another made an impact. And I also use a lot of humor in my presentations and in the film, and I think that helped people accept it. You know, it wasn't grim. It wasn't a polemic. It was kind of, look, this is ridiculous and it's affecting all of us. So I think all of those reasons contributed to its success.
0: Yeah I think you're really right and that is something that makes it really relatable and even you know more recent things you've done like your TED talk there's humour in that and I see people commenting on it online and saying when you bring humour into a serious topic it can make it much more approachable. I wondered I know that you always get asked how has it changed over time so I don't want to ask you the same thing but I would like to know what is your assessment of the situation in 2021?
1: You're right, I do get asked that, but it's a very important question, you know, and I am sort of unusual in that I've been looking at this for so long. So I would say that in some ways, I mean, things have really not changed at all. I mean, one of the things I talk about uh, in the original version of Killing Us Softly is the, what I call the tyranny of the ideal image of beauty. And certainly in some ways that's worse, you know, because of Photoshop, because of because of the internet, because of social media, because of the ways that we can Photoshop ourselves and put our images out there. So there's even more pressure on girls and young women in particular to present a certain kind of image. Uh, the obsession with thinness is certainly as bad as it's ever been and has a tremendously harmful impact. The sexualization of children, which I talked about, you know, years ago was much worse. Violence against women. All of those things have certainly increased or gotten worse or gotten more graphic. Um, the impact of social media, of course, is huge. And that's something that I didn't address, of course, in, in early versions of the film. But all of the themes that I talk about are present and then some in and, and social media and, and throughout the internet. And th- also the extraordinarily widespread uh, influence these days of pornography. And so that is so much, there's so much more of it, it's so much more extreme than, uh, than ever before. So, but in at least one profound way, things are very different. And that is that I am certainly no longer alone. And now these ideas that were considered so radical half a century ago are now mainstream. There are many organizations and books and films and all kinds of things that take these issues seriously. So that feels very gratifying. And uh, I think that that's probably the most significant way in which there's been a change.
0: Yeah, definitely. And something that I'm really curious about is obviously the fact that your entire career, you have been very critical of the advertising industry for some of the reasons that we've already discussed. And I know previously you've said the best way to approach these problems is not necessarily to go to advertisers because advertisers are profit focused. But at the same time, you're here on this podcast today. This is a podcast about the advertising industry. I've seen that you've been quoted before in publications like Ad Age and Adweek. And I've actually got a quote here that I would like to read to you, which is from Adweek. And they say, while Jean Kilbourne bills herself as a critic of advertising, she is more akin to a prophet calling out in the wilderness for fundamental change in the way we communicate publicly with one another. So what i would really love to know from you is if you agree with that assessment and if you think there is a way to engage with the advertising industry as well about these topics yes i love that quote so thank you for reading it it meant a lot to me to get a, a, a positive quote like that in yeah. adweek
1: yeah and i would say that i've i've i don't know whether i've mellowed or whether the the industry has seen some changes but certainly i do see ways that the advertising industry can participate very positively in bringing about change i've got involved early on with the three percent project we know which is started by an american woman named Kat gordon who's an advertiser and It's got its name from the fact that in the United States when she started this organization let's say eight or nine years ago three percent of creative directors were female (laughs) and now I think it's soared to eleven percent so what what Kat and the organization are doing is trying to bring people in the industry around to bringing about change and I think that's very important we've also seen I think some very positive um, commercials I mean starting with the Dove campaign you know the campaign for real beauty and all of that and oftentimes people criticize these campaigns and say well it's just public relations they don't really care sometimes i say i don't care <laughs> what's important to me is that this information is getting out there and it's being done by professionals who do it often an excellent job uh, there was a commercial from always the um, maxi pad uh, that run like a girl you know maybe five years ago and I thought it was a terrific commercial, but the most important thing about it was that it ran during the Super Bowl, which in the United States is kind of our equivalent of a religious, you know ceremony. And, Certainly, people who would ordinarily not see a commercial like that were in the audience. And I thought that was fantastic. You know, So I didn't really care that much what the intent was behind it. But I do know that I met with certainly with advertisers who have very, very sincere intent to try and uh, bring about change. And then finally, another group, this is not advertisers, but it's an organization called Conscious Capitalism, where I was invited to speak, say, 10 years ago, when they were just starting out. And when they first invited me, I said, do you know who I am? And they said, yes, we do. We want to hear what you have to say. And this brought together CEOs of corporations uh, that wanted to have a kinder, gentler capitalism, one that uh, not only focused on profit, but also focused on people and the planet. And I was moved by that and by the sincerity of the people that I met at that conference. And it's an ongoing organization. So and I'm also, by the way, this is not exactly related to advertising, but it certainly is to capitalism and to corporations, by what's happened with the um, the insurrection here in the United States recently, that major corporations have stepped up to call it out and to say that they're gonna stop uh, donating to to politicians who have questioned the results of the election. That's huge. I mean, that is really huge. So I think that all of this is makes me feel more hopeful.
0: Definitely, and I wondered, what you think about social media's role in the protesters that went to the Capitol and the way that the social media platforms chose afterwards to ban Donald Trump. Do you see social media as like a positive thing or a negative thing in that situation?
1: I think It's been primarily negative, you know, in terms of um, spreading lies and misinformation and uh, rallying people to conspiracy theories and all of that without much oversight as far as I can tell. I do think it's very important that finally they've stepped up and and banned because Trump was spreading um, absolute lies and misinformation and no question inciting people to show up and to be violent. I mean, not directly to be violent, but to march on the Capitol and all of that sort of thing to fight, uh, et cetera. So I think it's it's very important that these platforms have finally said, enough, and we're not going to allow this anymore. And I think that's going to have tremendous impact. I think it's, you know, it's a little late, but it's still very good. So something like that, I mean, in a way, it's almost like saying, I mean, is print good or bad? You know, I mean, it can be used for good ends or for bad ends. But I think that what's important with social media is that how enormously powerful it is, and the kind of megaphone that it gives to to some people, and that there really just does need to be more oversight, really. And I mean, I'm in the sort of ultimate First Amendment country, you know, where people are allowed to say absolutely anything, including yelling fire in a crowded theater, by the way. But obviously, there's got to be some limit to that and to the amount, to some way in which to at least check uh, the falsehoods that are promulgated on these platforms
0: yeah another thing that you mentioned was when you were talking about the different campaigns and you were calling out some examples that you liked and even if you say you know it might have a commercial interest there and something that we often talk about on this podcast is how as brands do we make sure that when we are promoting a good cause or talking about something how do we do it in a way that is genuinely helping the cause and not just self-interested because really consumers now I think they can tell if a company is being genuine or not and I wondered if you yourself have any views on that if there's any ways that advertisers can think about how they're genuinely supporting a cause and not just using it as a PR piece. Yeah, I think that's such
1: an important question. And uh, this summer, for example, but practically every corporation sort of slapped Black Lives Matter onto their ads, you know. And I think the real question there is, what's going on in the corporation? L- look at their board of directors. There, you know, how many, um, you know, how many women are in positions of power? How many uh, people of color are in positions of power? That are they walking the walk as well as talking the talk? And I think that they should be held accountable for that. I mean, it shouldn't simply be enough to sort of say, oh, we're green, you know, or oh, we care about this or that, that there's got to be some real accountability behind the scenes. And I think, in fairness, that there are some companies where this is happening, and then there are others, of course, where it isn't. I have a friend who does a a whole lot of work on what she calls fauvertising, you know, um, FAUX, and uh, that's the kind of example of, you know, where they just sort of said, oh, and by the way, Black Lives Matter, you know, at the end of a, a commercial but it's got, to be, uh, it's got to be more than that and that there has to be some real accountability, which is another reason why I like the conscious capitalism movement, because they really are looking at uh, what are these corporations really doing in terms of their workers, in terms of the planet, the environment, that sort of thing, what's really going on here
0: yeah definitely and when we're talking about real change obviously we're talking about how companies can make real change and there are other ways as well and something that i have talked about previously on this podcast is stereotyping and we've talked about the law that came into place in the uk in 2019 now i only recently discovered that i think that law came into place after you met with one of our mps joe swinson in Parliament, and you showed your documentary. And then as a result of that, the law came into place. So I wondered if you could tell me a bit more about that.
1: Well, I'd love I'd love to take credit for it, but I, it's true I did uh, meet with um, with with Jo, who's fantastic, and her staff. But there were an awful lot of people working on this, of course, and um, I was there and did show killing us softly, and that that went well. And that, but I met with so many women from different organizations who've been fighting for this for a long time. So I think it seems to me it's a good thing, although probably awfully hard to determine, you know, what what's exploitive and what isn't. And also, this is nothing that will ever happen in the United States because of we determined the supreme court determined uh, several years ago that corporations are people and have the same rights as individuals which i think was an incredibly flawed decision but anyway that it makes it very difficult to put any kind of real uh, pressure on on companies.
0: Yeah. I think you're right there are obviously this, these differences across the world and you obviously have a global audience and i've seen how far your documentary for example spread and it was literally everywhere. <laughs> Is that something that you're conscious of? Do you ever have to adapt what you're talking about to the different countries that you're reaching, or do you think that your message is applicable to everybody?
1: I think in many ways, the message is applicable to everybody. I mean, that uh, pretty much everywhere. I mean, there's probably more advertising in the U.S. than anywhere else, but in our uh, we export it, you know, so that's, there's that. Uh, but it seems to me that this, the problems, the sort of objectification of women and the image of beauty and the violence and the obsession with thinness and all of those things are are just true globally these days. And so I think pretty much everyone can relate to these themes. In terms of what individual countries can do about it, there is, of course, a huge range of uh, of what's possible and what's not possible, and probably quite a bit less is possible in the United States than in many other places. And but I've never been uh, advocating for bans, actually, or for. Um, or even really for legislation, because I think it's such a tricky, uh, I I used to say when, you know, that I was afraid that if there were some sort of censorship that what would be censored would be killing us softly, you know, (laughs) and in fact, that did happen sometimes. There are high schools that won't show it because the ads are so risque, but this is hilarious in a way. These are mainstream ads that their kids can see, but what they're saying is that they can't be allowed to analyze them and criticize them. So, you know, it's crazy, but that I've run into that. I actually gave a lecture out in the Wild West um, a few years ago and I had posters and the the posters had examples of ads and the ads had been cut out of the posters because they didn't want their their students to see these ads, which were everywhere. Anyway, don't get me started. So I think there is that, it is different, uh, you know, from country to country, but mainly my, my aim has been Uh, awareness, uh, the the importance of teaching media literacy in our schools, helping our students to become literate, you know, critical viewers of of not just advertising, but the media in general. So I've been more of an educator than I have a, a legislator.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about there. And actually, when you were talking about censorship of the ads that you've been using, it reminded me of something, which is that I spoke to a really amazing woman this week who is actually the head of communications for UN Women. And she recently worked on a campaign, which is to bring awareness about gender-based violence across the world, specifically things like uh, domestic violence, marital rape, and female genital mutilation. And their whole campaign was about the fact that it, so it showed pixelated images and it said, we're not allowed to show you this image in your country but in say 44 countries it's legal and I thought that was really powerful and it just reminded me just based on what you were saying it's about the fact that we're not allowed to show you an image but actually like this thing is going on somewhere and I wondered when you're talking about someone like this woman and the work at that organization do you think that kind of thing is a positive way in which we can use advertising?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that seems like a very positive way. And there are many other um, positive ways, too. I mean, in addition to the work on sexism and everything, I've done work on uh, alcohol and tobacco advertising for a long time. And in this country, uh, you know, 20 years ago, let's say, there was a whole lot of anti-tobacco not just anti-smoking, but anti-tobacco industry advertising that was done by public health departments. And it was very, very powerful and very effective. And I remember meeting with advertisers who were doing that and they were they were young and they were so happy to be using their skills in this very pro-health, pro-freedom kind of way. It was really, that was very important.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm conscious that we are coming to the end of my time with you. So normally, I just like to end on the same few questions. One extra question I have for you, just I've seen that you've met with so many interesting people in your career. And I wondered, are there any that really stand out that you really remember more than anybody else?
1: Oh, gosh, now that, that now you've just surprised me by asking me a question that nobody has ever asked me before. So, <laughs> what, uh, I mean, I've met so many, so many people and so many. Uh, I, but if you're talking about people who are well known, I guess, or.
0: I mean, you can answer that question, how you best see fit. The woman that I mentioned earlier who works for UN Women, she was telling me this with like, Famous people like Emma Watson, Nicole Kidman, and she was saying they're all really useful to the campaigning and they're really grateful for their support. But then at the same time, she's also incredibly grateful for the grassroots campaigners that she works with and the normal everyday influencers. So it doesn't have to be someone famous, of course. Yeah, it would be interesting to know if there's a particularly well-known person that stands out. But also maybe there's people who have really mentored you in your career. Well, actually, yeah,
1: there were people, I mean, the, the, one of the, my mentors was a woman named Jean Baker Miller, who wrote a fabulous book called Toward a New Psychology of Women, and she wrote that book probably 50 years ago, and it, it's really groundbreaking, and she was wonderful and had and had a tremendous impact on me. Um, but you know what really comes to mind? I've been a lecturer up until COVID, <laughs> you know, doing many lectures a year all around the, uh, the country, to some extent the world, meeting particularly with young people. And so I went to many, many, many universities, colleges all around the country. And I was very impressed, especially at some places that maybe that were quite conservative by, first of all, the the young feminists who were speaking up and starting their feminist groups and everything in the face of real hostility. And I thought that that showed tremendous courage. And the other group that, um, that really impressed me have been the young men who've been standing up against violence against women and starting things like the bystander movement and educating men on how to be allies for women. And they also face enormous blowback from their peers. And I I just think that they just show an incredible amount of courage. So I've been really inspired by them as I've been traveling around and meeting with a lot of them, more so really than the, than the better. I mean, I've met some well-known people whom I, whom I like and respect, but In particular, I mean, these young people have really moved me.
0: While we're talking about people that have moved you, I wondered if there are any either influential people or influential campaigns or brands or organisations within the past year that you think has been spreading a positive message?
1: Well, I mentioned earlier uh Kat Gordon and the Three Percent project, which I think has done wonderful is doing wonderful work in uh in trying to get bring advertisers on board. Um so that's that's one person, one organization. Another is Jennifer Siebel Newsom, who's uh married to Gavin Newsom, the governor of the state of California, and she did a film several years ago called Misrepresentation, which is about the ways in which um the images of women in in, in the media limit women's political ambitions and women's sense of political power and jen's gone on to make other films too about uh images of men and a a new one called the great american lie and she's done terrific work and has brought attention to these issues uh there's a man named jackson katz k-a-t-z who's done work for decades on getting men to speak up against violence against women and, and he's also had a tremendous amount of blowback and, you know, all of that, but he's just terrific and is tireless in his in his work. So I'd say all of those people, which may actually be more of an answer to your earlier question, in terms of the actual ads or commercials in the past year, I would say that and I wish I could think of some specific examples, but that some of the corporations have done I think, very good things with the whole Black Lives Matter social justice protests over the summer. Some of them, again, have been sort of favoritizing, but some have not. And some have really been quite soul searching. And I think that there have been some that have made me think, yes, this is a very good use of these skills.
0: That's great to hear. My final question for you. So normally I ask if you had any advice to someone starting out their career, but I would say, so I'm probably about eight years into my career now in advertising, which actually is comparatively like quite early on. And I wondered if you had any advice for me as a young woman that is working in advertising, what you would like to say to me?
1: Well, it's first of all it, that you can do a tremendous amount of good. It's really funny. I, I was at giving a lecture years ago, and, a, and a, a woman came up to me and she said, "You know, when I heard your lecture here, you know, several years ago, I was an advertising major, but I've switched to social work." And so, my first comment to her was, "I'm very sorry about the cut in pay, <laughs> but but good for you." But I but now I think it's very important to have you know people like you who are. In the field and trying to bring about change within the field. So one of the pieces of advice I always give to people is to find allies, you know, find allies in your, in your company in the field who will support you because we're much more powerful if we have other people. And also it, you need a support group. If you're going to stand up against the status quo, you need a support group. So I would say that's very important. And the other is to try and think about some ethical issues while you're still young, I mean, I I would advise my audiences, before you have a mortgage, before you have to think all the time just about, you know, how much money you're going to be able to make, ask yourself, what will I do if I'm asked to um, come up with a campaign to sell cigarettes to teenage girls, for example, you know, will you be able to step away from that? And it's good to sort of have some sense of that before you feel in a way, I don't mean, I want to use the word trapped, but before you feel um, that you have less latitude than you do right now.
0: That's really good advice. So thank you very much. I really appreciate Mm -hmm. it. And thank you as well for your time. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And I think the advertising industry will also find it really useful and interesting to listen to.
1: Well thank you. It's been great to talk to you. And let me add one more thing to that last question, which is of course, it's also important for people in the field to become, you know, versed in the criticism of the field. You know, sort of watch the films, read the books, look at look at what people are saying, and figure out where you stand. I mean, some of it will be useful to you and some of it won't, but it's good to know, I think. Uh, what's out there. And these days, there's a lot. I mean, of course, I want everyone to watch Kelly and but there's many other things out there now, too, that people can watch and read and be part of. And there are groups, too, of course, that people can join. So um, I think all of this is, is very important, too.
0: I really agree. And that's why I'm so grateful that you came on today, because, you know, it- it was a bit of a risk, I guess, in, in terms of the fact that you are a big critique of the advertising industry. I'm someone that works in advertising, but I think I've learned a lot from you. So thank you.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. And I'm I'm very happy to have young people like you in the field today. Thank you.
0: You've just been listening to an episode of Mad Influence. If you want to find out more about Jean Kilbourne's work, please go to her website at jeankilbourne.com, which also contains links to her social media pages. This episode was recorded remotely with music by Joseph McDade. Thank you so much to everyone who's reached out with positive feedback recently. If you do get a chance, it would mean a lot if you can please subscribe, rate and review the podcast, as this will really help it to grow.